Our series uh, for the last couple of weeks uh, has been what we're calling the short letters of the New Testament. And we are taking a look at, as you see on the screen here, the, the, the very small New Testament books that sometimes we skip over. They're so, they're so small, we just move right on by them sometime. Uh, what are some things we can learn from, from those small, short letters of the New Testament? So we started with Titus. Uh, today we're, we're going to look at Titus chapter 2 and uh, entitled, A Lesson for All. Those of you who are parents, got uh, many of you here today, uh, how long did it take you to figure out that your children are different from each other? (laughs) It didn't take long, did it? Uh, uh, Isn't it interesting and wonderful how God made us all different? I mean, how boring would life be uh, if if we were all exactly the same, if, if we all liked all the same things, if we uh, wore all the same clothes, if we enjoyed the same kind of art and the same kind of music. You know, variety just makes, uh, is a spice of life, as they say. Um, Now, uh, while I wish everyone could be a cowboy fan, um, that was fun when you guys uh, blessed us with that trip to the Cowboys game to Dallas a couple years ago. Um, uh, It was amazing to be in a stadium filled with cowboy fans. There were a few Buffalo fans here and there, but, but uh, mostly Cowboys. So that was kind of cool to be, be surrounded by Cowboy fans. Uh, but, but, you know, that would be kind of nice. But how boring would that be if, if the whole world were Cowboy fans? Um, you know, the Cowboys needed an opponent every week and opponent fans to make it interesting and to even have the game in the first place. So, uh, and so unfortunately, we need Giant and Eagle and Steeler fans. Uh, so, so that we can have a game, right? You know, children with different personalities make life interesting. You know, it challenges us as parents, doesn't it, to, to innovate and to adapt to the way that we handle the issues of life. We can't, do, we can't handle every child exactly the same because they're different. For example, when, when we told Jason to, to do something, he said, generally, okay. When we told Chris to do something, generally he would say, why? (laughs) Why? Uh, In life, we need both of those kinds of people. (laughs) We need people who are compliant and people who who ask questions. Uh, And for our kids, you know, their personalities have served them well in life and in their ministries as well. When Paul addresses Titus in his letter um, concerning the people who make up the congregations on the island of Crete, He acknowledges the fact that there are different kinds of people in the body of Christ. Uh, There are older and younger men, and there are older and younger women. Uh, There are young whippersnappers uh, who think and approach differently, different different than those who are older, more experienced, more mature, who've been around. Uh, On Crete, there are slaves who were Christians. Uh, Slavery was an unfortunate system of the first century Roman culture. Uh, Many of the slaves on Crete were Christians who likely were enslaved uh, by the pagans of the island. Now in chapter 2, Paul spends some time instructing Titus on how and what to teach each of these groups of people uh, that made up the body of Christ on the island of Crete. Now, interestingly, w- with the thankful exception of slavery, 
local congregations today are still made up of these same groups of people. So, so even though this letter is 2,000 years old, uh, it, it is still relevant to uh, a local congregation like Stony Brook. You know, we, we, we've got here younger and older men and younger and older women, and all of us more or less fit into those four categories. Uh, so let's see what we can learn from Paul's letter to Titus. Let's start with Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Titus has been given a great responsibility uh, on Crete to teach sound doctrine to everyone. Now, we often think of Titus as a young man, or at least I do. Uh, perhaps some scholars feel like he might have been a little older than Timothy, um, uh, but still relatively young. Uh, as Timothy was told in, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, uh, not to let anyone look down on him because he's young, but rather to, for him to prove himself with his godly example, Titus is also told, you know, don't, don't let anyone despise you. Paul said, and he is also encouraged to prove himself by his godly example, his eagerness to do good. So Paul, who knew Titus's character and his knowledge of, of, God, of, of God's will, trusts Titus to effectively teach the lessons that need to be taught to the Christians there. Uh, an enormous task, but no doubt one Paul believes Titus can handle. And so, His first category is older men. Um, You know, the older men are the primary group uh, that elders are to be appointed from. You know, we we talked a couple weeks ago about uh, Paul tasking Titus to appoint elders. Well, this is the group where elders generally come from. Uh, Generally speaking, um, uh, older men are uh, spiritual maturity follows age. And so the older you get, the more mature you get. Uh, both, you know, just normally in life and and spiritually mature as well. Uh, uh, The older you get, the wiser, more mature you come. Now, there are exceptions, of course. You know, there there are some young men who who, uh, accelerate in their spiritual maturity faster than others. Uh, And there are some older men who never grow uh, spiritually. They never get more spiritually mature. Uh, But most of the time... um, uh, older men uh, are more mature, and so therefore uh, elders are, are chosen from them. Now, older men t- need to have developed, and now we're talking to all older men, not just elder older men. Um, uh, older men need to, to have developed a character, a character that stands out as unquestionable. Uh, older men, you know, I, could, I guess I'm one now. Uh, I don't feel like an older man, but uh, I, I am when I look at my birth date. Uh, uh, we need to have come to a point in our lives where we've learned how God wants us to live, and we have taken the necessary steps to consistently walk in step with the Spirit. That's where we need to be, older guys. Um, older men, we are, we are less likely, hopefully, to fall into the traps of, of our youth. We're no longer doing those things. Uh, experience has helped us to, 
to see the blessing and the advantage of letting God lead us, not our flesh. We've learned those lessons, maybe the hard way. So older men, uh, uh, by now you should be known as men who are, and Paul lists um, some, some characteristics, we need to be men who are known to be temperate, temperate, uh, behaving in a sober, restrained manner when needed. You, we've learned to be patient, less impulsive, not allowing anything like alcohol or anger or selfishness control us. Uh, older men, we need to be worthy of respect. You know, some people demand respect because of their position, because of their wealth or, or, or who they are. Um, others earn their respect uh, by their behavior, by their reputation. You know, older men should be the latter. Uh, older Christian men should be the latter. Someone who people easily and naturally respect because they just know your character. And that's what makes them respect you. Uh, older men, we need to be self-controlled. You know, by the time you're, you're a mature older man, you should have learned to let the Holy Spirit take control of your flesh. Uh, your thoughts and your actions stay within the boundaries of godly behavior, never wandering away from them. You, you, you're no longer uh, going off on binges, uh, maybe like you did in the past, uh, allowing your anger to, to cause you to sin. Or, or, other, or other things that you maybe had, con had trouble before. You know, you're no longer having to apologize for saying something hurtful again. You know, that's what spiritual maturity brings to your life. Self-control. Self-control. Paul wrote in, in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, he said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ that's a picture of a mature person man or a woman um, someone who uh, not only controls the things they do but even the things they think up oh, that's something that's outside the boundaries of what I should be thinking about an older man uh, we need to be sound or healthy in faith love and endurance. You, you know that sound, if, if you're a homeowner, uh, that, you, that you get when you go up to a, a piece of wood on your house and you, and you knock it, you, you rap on it, that you, when it's a good solid piece of wood, you know how that feels, you know, it kind of hurts your, ankle, your knuckles a little bit and, and you hear that, that solid sound, uh, you can just tell that piece of wood is good. Uh, but but you, you also maybe have, have you ever tapped on a piece of wood in your house that's termite damaged <laughs> or water damaged uh, you know that sound too don't you you know that you immediately know that that's a rotten piece of wood it, it sounds like paper crunching I've, I've had some places on my house where you could push your finger through it like it's a cardboard box um, because of damage there's a big difference between something that's solid that's sound and something that's not you know sound means healthy it means solid. So older men, by now, our faith, our love, the ability to endure the hardships of life should be solid, solid. Not crunchy, not crumbly, but solid and healthy. 
And notice that the, these things can be taught to older men. So you know, uh, Titus is, is, is being told, hey, there might be some older men who aren't there yet. You can teach these things to them. Um, some of it comes naturally with age. We just sort of naturally get more wise in the way we react to things. But, but the truth is, you know, even as older men, guess what? Our flesh still wants to be in control, doesn't it? We all know that. So, fellow older guys, uh, are there any of these virtues that we need to work on? Uh, and if so, let's take the steps that we need to be the mature, godly men that we should be. So, the next category that uh, Paul wants Titus to address is older women. Let's look at that. Verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Now, if I were Titus here, I'd be a little nervous. <laughs> I would be nervous at the thought of trying to tell a bunch of older women how to live. Now, who are you, young man, to tell me what to do? But Paul... Paul trusts Titus to, to do this, basically. He's just con conveying some basic lessons of life, you know, that, that would be true to anybody. And I'm sure, I'm sure Titus prefaced his lessons with, now, ladies, I want you to understand, this, this, what I'm getting ready to teach you is from the Apostle Paul. Not me, not me. These are his words, not mine. <laughs> so first, Paul addresses what, what he should teach Titus should teach older women. But then he leads right into what they, older women, should teach younger women. So he begins with the word likewise. You know, it, it, it's, it's not just older men who need to be taught. It's older women as well. So here's what, Titus, you should teach them. Older women, be reverent in the way you live. Literally, the word reverent means, uh, in the Greek, uh, live with a demeanor that suits the sacred. Live with a demeanor that suits the sacred. You know, when people think of you, they think, now that's a godly woman. That's a godly woman, no doubt. Now, let me ask you, who, who is always the one uh, who, who steps in and says, now you watch your language. Or, you need to go to church. Or, just count your blessings. Or, those women need to put some clothes on. <laughs> Who says things like that? Grandma. Grandma says things like that, doesn't she? <laughs> you know, they are being what Paul said they should be. Their life suits the sacred. I know that was true for, for my grandmothers. You know, they're not gossipers uh, or, or drunks. Uh, rather, they teach by their example... What is good? And their words, too. But, you know, they're not hypocrites. They, they, they teach by their example. Older women. Uh, now, this is Paul speaking, not me. Does your life suit the sacred? Does your life suit the sacred? Do you make fun of Grandma when she says things like that? Or are you seeking to more, be more like her? Shouldn't we be seeking to be more like her? What steps do you need to take? to be more reverent. And here's why that's important. Paul goes on, verse 4 and 5. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. 
to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Older women, if you are living a godly life, you can then teach younger women to live a godly life. You know, there was a time when, when much of our learning came from older men and older women in our lives, in our families, in our communities, at our churches. That's where our learning came from. You know, back before television and back before the internet and social media, uh, people learned the lessons of life from their parents and their grandparents or the patriarchs or matriarchs of, of the church. You know, a, a grandmother would take her young granddaughter aside and, and give her advice on how to have a good marriage. Um, she might say, you know, your grandfather can be hard-headed sometimes. He sure can, but I have always shown him respect as the head of the house, and he's always loved and protected and cherished me. I want to be the wife God wants me to be, and, and sweetheart, I want you to be the wife God wants you to be. You know, what would it take for older women to lovingly teach younger women what it means to be a godly woman, uh, to be a godly wife? Sweetheart, I noticed that you're pretty hard on your husband about every little thing. I know he's stubborn sometimes, but this relentless nagging is going to drive you two apart. Learn to choose your battles. You'll both be happier and better off. I mean, that, that would be a great lesson, maybe, when, when, it's, when it's needed from an older woman to a younger woman. Teaching those who come behind us is our responsibility. It always has been. So let's look for older men and older women. Let's look for, even create opportunities to share the wisdom that we've learned from God's word and just living uh, as a Christian with our children with our grandchildren or, or the young among us in our congregations. Older women teaching younger women. Uh, older men teaching younger men. Let's look at verse 6 through 8. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they, they have nothing bad to say about us. Self-control, you know, is, is, is a challenge for any human being, but especially for young men filled with lots of testosterone and facing a field full of wild oats that needs some sowing. <laughs> Self-control can be a challenge for young men. You know, our flesh wants what it wants, right? And some of the things that our flesh wants is just sinful. Like being selfish is sinful. Our flesh wants it, craves it, but it's sinful. Uh, losing our temper, indulging in sexual immorality, like sex outside of marriage or internet pornography. You know, here's a chance for older men who have allowed the Holy Spirit to control their passions and desires to demonstrate how a godly man should live. 
how he should treat women, how, how he should put others first, especially his wife. Young men don't need a lecture. They need an example. One of the primary causes of the chaos of our culture today is the lack of godly male examples in the lives of young boys and young men. And here Paul calls on Titus to be an example of what a godly man looks like so that he can then effectively teach young men. Verse 7 and 8, In your teachings show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Notice what it says there. In your teaching show, not tell, show. Show integrity. Don't just talk about it. Show it in your life. You know, show that you're not corrupt. Rather, you are incorrupt. That you are exactly what you claim to be. Someone who follows Jesus. Who wants to be like him. Show that you are serious when needed. You know, the, the word there, seriousness, literally means a high moral tone and serious manner. I don't know, that, that that could be boring. You know, someone who's always serious is, is, is boring to be around sometimes. But, but can't we have fun? Can't we enjoy a good sense of humor and be serious when we need to be? You know, we might joke around and say, well, boys will be boys. You know, dismissing a, a sinful behavior of a young boy, maybe he's been caught looking at internet pornography, and we say, ah, well, boys will be boys, and we... We, we laugh about it. But that young boy will only take sin seriously if dad or the men in his life take sin seriously. If we laugh at it, then they're just going to laugh at it too and keep right on going and not uh, make an attempt to rid their life of it. Show soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Unsound speech could be, do as I say, not as I do, do as I say. You know, young boys and men don't hear what you say, they watch what you do. That's how they learn. You know, if, if we're not practicing what we preach, we will be condemned, and rightly so, by young men who observe us, and anyone who observes us. If we're saying one thing and doing something else and then our words are useless if our words don't match our actions they're useless so dad be an example to your sons the example that he needs to learn how to be a godly boy a godly man and then paul adds an additional reason for titus and us to set a good example verse 8, the second part of verse 8, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. you know, let, let's not give anyone a reason to condemn us. You know, our kids, you know, they're not going to always like being disciplined uh, and, uh, or the guidance we might give them. I mean, no one likes to be disciplined. I don't, and, and, and any child wouldn't. But, but maybe they don't like it but may it be because they just don't like discipline and they're kids rather than because we're hypocrites. 
because we say tell them to do one thing when we're doing when we're doing something different let's not put ourselves in any position where anybody can condemn us because we practice what we preach now this next section concerns a group of people that existed in the roman world of the first century slaves now, thankfully, thankfully, this is not a group that exists today in, in America. It is a horrible stain on our history. Uh, but, you know, hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives in a war that ended slavery in America 150 years ago, more than 150 years ago. And unlike what many claim today, great, tremendous strides have been made in stamping out racism in America. Now, is it perfect yet? Well, no, it's not perfect yet, and it never will be perfect. Does racism still exist in America today? Well, where, wherever humans are, there will always be an element of racism. But we have come so far since we fought that war so long ago. Uh, and you know what? Followers of Jesus lead the way in seeing all mankind, no matter who they are, as precious and equal in the sight of God. We're leading the way in, in accepting all people as equal. But in Titus's world, slavery was a, 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 a big reality. And, and there were some slaves who had become Christians. Now, likely they were slaves of pagans who lived there on Crete. How should a slave who is a Christian live? How should he behave? How, how should he react as a slave? Well, here's Paul's instructions to Titus on what he should teach them. Let's look at verse uh, 9 and 10. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. You know, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a slave. You know, it, it would be a tremendously difficult life to live, no doubt. But I can't even imagine what it would be. But a slave who accepts Jesus has the same hope, eternal hope, that anyone who accepts Jesus has. You know, there is no difference uh, in anyone, any human being, in the sight of God, while Men might categorize people depending on their status in, in life in certain ways and, and importance. God does not. We are all equal in his sight. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 28. He said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For all of us are one in Christ Jesus. So whatever state we find ourselves in in life, uh, the message from Paul is, wherever you are, seek to be Christ-like. Even for a difficult life like slavery, still seek to be Christ-like. You know, I like what uh, biblical scholar Donald Guthrie said about this passage. He said, if Christian slaves could introduce into their lives so high a principle as this, it would do much to lessen the evils of the system and to show the power of Christianity to transform the most difficult of relationships. You know, 
Anyone who seeks to be Christ-like, even as a slave, makes Christ attractive to others, even to slave owners, which could transform them into being like Jesus. It has happened. It could happen. But even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't, and often it didn't, uh, the wonderful hope found in Jesus is the reward that all of us will receive when this life is over, no matter what our status is in this life. Let's look at the last section there of chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared to that offers salvation to all people. Let me read that again. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. You, We could summarize this section uh, here like this. I want to get that. You might summarize this section right here this way. God's grace should produce an eagerness to do what is good. God's grace should produce an eagerness to do what is good. God's grace compels us to avoid ungodliness and worldly passions or desires. God's grace compels us to be self-controlled, live godly lives. Do you need motivation to live a Christ-like life? I do. I don't know about you. I, I need something that motivates me, motivates me, gives me a reason to live a godly life. Well, the greatest, the greatest motivation is God's grace. We don't need any other motivation. God's grace is the reason we live a Christ-like life. Um, think about it. Um, we didn't earn God's grace, did we? We don't deserve God's grace, do we? we? What we deserve is condemnation. But because God loves us, God saved us by his grace. Even though we didn't earn it, even though we don't deserve it, God gave it to us anyway. That's God's grace. Salvation is ours because Jesus paid the price with his life there in verse 14. So shouldn't that, God's grace, shouldn't that produce an eagerness, an eagerness to do what is good, to do what God wants us to do? That's all the motivation we need. So whether old or young, whether man or woman, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, let God's love for you and his grace transform you into the man or woman that he wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these lessons that every single person in this room
can learn from. We're all different. We're older. We're younger. We're men. We're women. Uh, but you have uh, you, you you have uh, instructions on how we should think and how we should conduct our lives and how we should conduct our relationships with each other. Uh, Christianity is uh, following your son Jesus is is not an easy thing to do. Uh, it's it's something that we have to put effort, great effort into. It's something that we have to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to help us do. Uh, But Lord, with your power, with your strength, we can live a godly life. Uh, And Lord, help us to be motivated. Not because we want to check off things on a list, uh, but because of your grace, because of what you did for us, Lord. Let that motivate us to seek to, uh, to be the kind of person that you want us to be. And Lord, you know, when we think about people in our lives, especially those who come, who come behind us, uh, younger men, younger women, our, our children, our grandchildren, may we look for opportunities, Father, as we are living a godly life, may we look for opportunities to, to show them how important it is for them to live a godly life too. Father, thank you for these instructions. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.